am uh, so excited for this evening. I'm excited for this message, and, and what we're going to talk about tonight is one of the, I think, most important and most difficult things to learn as a follower of Christ. As you remain standing, let me open for you Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33. This is our key text for the day. Listen now to God's word. It says, the fear of the Lord is instruction and in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility. Well, let's stop right there. Go ahead and let's have a seat. So tonight we're going to talk about this concept of humility. Now this is, this is a difficult concept for us. We find ourselves struggling with this from time to time. At least I do. Most of us do. And, and to set things up for you this evening, uh, instead of telling you one of my own stories, I, I want to tell you a story that Jesus tells. I, I probably should do this every week, right? Just like, here's what Jesus says. But, but let me tell you a story. This is a parable that Jesus himself, he speaks of, when he talks about how one day two men walk into the temple to pray. Two men walk into the temple to pray. He says one of these men is a Pharisee. He is, a, he is someone who everyone looks at as righteous, someone who is very important, someone who he, he looks at himself as self-righteous. And the other man walks into the temple, and this man does not share the Pharisee's position. This man is a tax collector. And for the Jewish people, this man was a traitor. He was collecting taxes for Rome, the occupiers. Jesus says two men go into the temple and pray. The first man, the Pharisee, he stands and he lifts his hands and he, and he says to the Lord, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, the unjust, adulterers. And he glances out of his side of his eyes and he says, and even like that man, a tax collector. God, I tithe, I tithe from everything that I get, and I fast twice a week. You, you can almost picture this man go, <sighs> in his pride. And the other man, the tax collector, Jesus says that he doesn't, he doesn't stand and raise his hands. In fact, he, 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 he does not even come near. He does not even lift his face toward heaven. And this man, his prayer, he simply says, as he beats upon his chest, he says, God, be merciful upon me, a sinner. And then Jesus com gives commentary on this. Jesus' words, he says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified, right with God, rather than the other. And then Jesus' words, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus' story and his commentary, they teach the exact same thing that we see in this evening's Proverbs. Proverb, Proverbs 15, 33, it starts, it says, The fear of the Lord is instruction, and then it says, And humility comes before honor. 
See, tonight, here, I want to connect the dots at the very beginning. Tonight, here's what we're going to see. As we're walking through this series that is looking at the fear of the Lord, as we're considering how to live right before God, our, our simple big idea is fear of the Lord is found in humility. You show me a humble person, and you're going to see a person that has fear of the Lord. You show me a prideful person, and you're going to find a person that lacks fear. Of the Lord. Let me ask you, how do you know if you live in the, in the fear of the Lord? How do you identify it in your life? And I'm not just talking about when you come to church on Saturday night or on Sunday. How do you know if you have fear of the Lord in your nine to five or with your family? Can you identify it? See, this, this passage tonight, and a few passages that we're going to reference as well, uh, these passages are going to help you tonight identify whether or not you live with fear of the Lord, whether or not you are walking in the beginning of wisdom, whether or not you have humility. And so let's, let's explore this passage and a few others together. If you haven't turned to Proverbs 15.33 yet, I, I would love for you to do that. I want you to see it in your own Bible. And let's begin by talking about the fear of the Lord. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to see the fear of the Lord in its relationship with a person before God, the fear of the Lord and its relationship in a person before other people, and the fear of the Lord and its relationship in a person specifically in this community, in, in, in what is called the church. So let's look at it. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And humility comes before honor. Now, I want you to see that this proverb is a, it's a paralleled proverb. It says, this A and B is just like uh, C and D. And so you see, it says, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. And in the same exact way, humility comes before honor. The point here is that, that this fear of the Lord and humility go hand in hand, just like wisdom and honor go hand in hand. In fact, there, there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of a trajectory in this proverb. You see, if we're, if we're going to break this down, we're going to see that, first of all, the godly person or the godly, they grow in wisdom. The, the first half of this proverb, it says, the fear of the Lord is instruction is in wisdom. Now, now, that word instruction, we looked at it all the way back at the very beginning of this series. And that word instruction, it, it, it has to do with this idea of discipline. So the fear of the Lord is discipline and wisdom. The, the idea then is that this is not, you have fear of the Lord and so you have all wisdom. In fact, that's not true at all. It's that you have fear of the Lord and so you are being trained little by little, step by step, day by day in wisdom. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if the moment we trusted in Christ, the moment we believed in Christ, it was like our, our, our lid was opened up and, and wisdom was just poured in and we knew exactly what to do at every moment. That would be pretty great, right? But, but that's not how it works, church. You want to know how wisdom works? It works little by little. Every day. Every day as you choose to look at the Lord, every day as you choose to trust in Christ, every day as you open the scripture, you know what's happening is you are being trained in wisdom. It's, it's incremental, not immediate. It's little by little, not all at once. 
And so this means the godly person, if we're going to look at fear of the Lord, we're going to get there. But, but the godly person, you tonight, if you are in Christ, this means that you are meant to grow in wisdom. You say, Mike, I've been following Jesus for 50 years. And you know what Mike's going to say? You're not there yet. You still have growth that needs to take place in your life. This reminds me of the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. This is the Apostle Paul. This is church planter par excellence. This is writer of half of the New Testament. Listen to his words to the Philippians. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Here's what he says. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you or of us who are mature think this way. And if any one of you thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to, also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is incredible. A few simple words here. Paul says that he is pressing forward. But Paul is not content with what he's done so far. Paul is not content with his level of spiritual growth. Paul is not content with the amount of service he's given to the Lord. Listen, you, you never retire in your service to the Lord, by the way. <laughs> You've never, you've, you never retire. Instead, he says, I press forward. And he says his prize is Christ. Knowing Christ, being like Christ, thinking like Christ, his, his prize is Christ. His, it's, it's a life that fears the Lord. This is a life of wisdom. He says, I, I don't think that I've made it. <laughs> I'm amazed at how easy it is for me to think that I've made it. You ever find yourselves in those moments where you think you've got life figured out? When you think you know how to punch every box correctly, when you, when you know the right answer to every single thing you face, listen, don't think that you've made it. In fact, it's really interesting. Verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. You, you realize that the mature believer is the one who doesn't think they've made it? The moment you start to think that you're mature, the moment that you start to think that you have it figured out, the moment that you start to think that you've reached the pinnacle, that is the moment that any maturity you have is just flushed down the toilet. <laughs> because that's the moment you become prideful. You connect the dots. The moment you start to say, I've got it all figured out, is the moment you stand in the shoes of the Pharisee and you start to sound like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like that person. I thank you that I'm not foolish like that person who's doing that, making that decision over there or acting that way. See how sneaky pride can be? Paul says, I, I do this one thing. I press forward. I strain forward. I seek after Christ. Listen, if you are godly, this means you are growing in wisdom. This side of heaven, you never achieve it. This side of heaven, you're never done. This side of heaven, you'll never know enough scripture. 
This side of heaven, you'll never have enough wisdom. The godly grow in wisdom. But, 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 but follow with me on this trajectory. Because if the godly grow in wisdom, and then that means, secondly, the wise are humble. If the godly grow in wisdom, this means that the wise person is the one who is humble. Again, Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And at the same time, in the same way, almost like A and B, and then C and D, it says, the hu- and humility comes before honor. Humility. Now, if you've been with us at all these last few weeks, as we've talked about the fear of the Lord, as we've taught on this topic, we have defined the fear of the Lord as, as godly living based upon who God is and who you are before him. Oftentimes, we'll, I'll use my hands, I'll say godly living based upon who God is. He is majestic, he's mighty, he's awesome. And who we are, well, we, we're pretty miserable a lot. We're rebellious. We can be wayward. In recognizing that in Christ we have forgiveness, in Christ we can approach him. So fear of the Lord is living a godly life based upon who God is and who we are before him. Now, I've got a news flash for us. If, if the, the wise are humble, here is the news flash. I mean, it's just like a notification coming across your screen right now. News flash. Okay, everybody ready? You are not God. The universe doesn't revolve around you. I know you wake up and you think, here are the, here are the things that I, I, I have on my list that are really important. Here are the things that I'm doing that really matter. And it's easy for us to start to feel like the solar system has one center point, And that center point is me and it's my life. But, but we have to remember Of course, we have to remember every week when we gather to preach the word and worship God. But we have to remember every single day, you are not God. You're not the most important person. We just got to sit here for a minute. Because I guarantee if I asked you, I said, are you the most important person? You would say no. But I guarantee, even though you say that, there's times when you don't feel that. When was the last time you were frustrated at your spouse because they didn't do things the way you wanted it to to happen? When was the last time you were short-tempered with your children or disobedient toward your parents? When was the last time you talked down to someone at work or behind their back because of their incompetence in your Absolute wisdom. You're not God. You and I, we're not, we're not the center of the universe. The universe is held together by the word of Christ. Not by the word of any of us. If you're still in Philippians, instead of being in chapter 3, turn back one chapter to chapter 2. Now, think about this, this idea of humility as we think about Philippians chapter 2, and ultimately as we think about Christ. Look at verses 3 through 5. The scripture says, it says, speaking to those who were in Christ, those who have trusted good in Christ, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Here it is. 
but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Look here. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. If it just, this is pretty simple. Follow along. It says, it says, don't live in selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition is here's what I want and here's how I'm going to get it. Conceit is, well, here's how I'm better than other people. Uh, th- that person, they're less than me. It says instead, it says, but in humility... Count others more, as more significant than yourselves. This is not saying that you think you are insignificant. No. This means that you think that you're significant because you're in Christ, but because your significance is found in the fact that God loves you and Jesus died for you and the Spirit dwells in you, that means instead of saying, hey, everybody, the world revolves around me, you look at those around you and you count them as more significant. This is not lessening your importance. No, this is increasing the importance of others. And then the follow-up. It says, let each of you look not only to your, his own interests, but to the interests of others also. This is instead of saying, here's what I got to do, here's what I want, here's what I need. You, you, you lift your face up. You stop looking at yourselves and you say, what is it that Eric needs? How, how can I serve the Brzezinski's here? How can I pray for Bethany? What's going on in Susan's life? You start to look around at the lives of others and start to saying, how can I benefit? <laughs> you say, how can I benefit others? This is the Christian life. See, see, the godly grow in wisdom. And the wisdom, you know what it looks like? I'm not God. And because I'm not God, I now live in humility. I now live in humility. And so if you follow this trajectory, the godly grow in wisdom, and, and then the wise are humble, well, then here's where it lands. Back to Proverbs 15.33, the humble are exalted or honored in the text. The text says, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Notice the order of operation. Humility comes before honor. You you ever heard someone say something like this, or maybe you've said something like this, I'm not going to respect them until they respect me. You you ever heard that? Don't, Don't raise your hand, but you ever said that? Here's how we approach life. I'm going to get my honor, and then once I get my honor, then I will honor that person that honors me. This is how the world thinks. This is not how a believer thinks. The believer says, I'm going to live in humility, first and foremost before God. And God says, humility comes before honor. God will be the one that brings honor in your life. I mean, back to the story that I told you at the very beginning. It comes from Luke chapter 18, verse 14, Jesus' commentary. you got the Pharisee, and you have the tax collector. You have the self-righteous, and you have the, the, what the world would say is wicked. You have the man who is pro- full of pride, and you have the man who is humble. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man 
went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You realize faith in Christ is displayed by humility before God. Trusting in Jesus, saying, I trust in you, God, built into that trust is a, a humility where you recognize your weakness, where you recognize your need, and where you recognize your utter and complete dependence upon the Savior. They go hand in hand. In fact, if you're still in Philippians... Philippians chapter 2, we just looked at th- verses 3 through 5. Let me show you verses 6 through 11. Let me just read this. It just says that you have this mind. This mind of humility is yours in Christ. Now look at verses 6 through 11. Speaking of Christ, it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Look at this. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But look at what God does. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus... Jesus demonstrated the ultimate expression of humility. There's no way anyone could ever be more humble than what Jesus did. And in doing that, Jesus, he received the ultimate exaltation and vindication. There's no one that could be brought higher. In fact, you are saved. You, you are forgiven of your sin. You were rescued out of your old life and brought into the eternal kingdom of God. You were saved. Listen very carefully. You were saved through Jesus' humility. He was willing to die for you. He deserved nothing but glory and honor. And instead, he received a brutal beating and a savage crucifixion. You were saved through Jesus' humility. And so here's what it looks like for us today. If we say we have the fear of the Lord, if you say that you live in the fear of the Lord, you want to know the primary way it's displayed in your life? Very first thing, if you have the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is found, first of all, in humility before God. Where you humbly have faith in Him. But second, the fear of the Lord is found in humility before man. See, I think if I told us tonight, I said, hey, if you can be humble before God, it doesn't matter how you act in front of other people. I guess, I, I would guess that all of us would sign up for that. That sounds pretty easy, right? Because God's pretty awesome. He, he's pretty majestic. 
there are times when we get kind of arrogant, but, but if we stop and we think about who God is, we can humble ourselves before him pretty quickly. But what about humbling ourselves before man, before other people? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. It says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord. See how they go hand in hand? The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now, this is talking about earthly benefit of humility. This is talking about earthly benefit in our everyday, ordinary, average lives. Now, I want us to remember. Remember that these Proverbs, they are general principles. I don't want to sell you a, a, a false set of goods here by saying that if you're humble, then everything in life's going to work out perfectly. That's not what we're saying here. But these general principles, this is how life generally works. So let, let me show you. For, first of all, we have to remember that it is God who places the humble in p- positions of honor. God puts you exactly where he wants you to be. And when you demonstrate humility, it's God's habit of exalting the humble. That's what we just saw in Jesus' words in in Luke 18, 14. Let me give you another passage, Luke 14. Jesus is speaking again, another parable. Jesus says, he's got people gathered. He says, now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited. He told them this when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Here's what he says to them, verse 8. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, when you're invited to a party, when you're invited to a special occasion, he says, do not sit down in the place of honor. This is what we do, right? We walk into a room, we say, where is the best place for me to sit? And we go, we go to that spot. He says, don't do that. He says, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And when he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Instead, verse 10, but when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Here it is. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And all who humble him and, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is teaching this principle here. He's saying when you are with other people and your inclination is to grab the power, to grab the position, to grab the prestige, when you're in this moment where you can act with, here it is, when you can act with pride. Jesus says, don't do it. He says, instead, act with humility. Why? Here's why. Because God is supernaturally working in the background in invisible ways, and God will put you exactly where he wants you to be. Listen very carefully. Your humility before men, before people, is a demonstration of your faith in God. Let me, let me say that again. 
When you act humbly before other people, even in the dog-eat-dog world, even in a place where everyone's jockeying for position and sticking out their, their chest and trying to have whatever it is that everyone wants, when you act with humility before people, it is an expression, it is a display of your faith in God that God will place you exactly where he wants you. You see how this works? We're not just humble before God and then full of pride before men. We are humble before God and those around us. We walk in humility. We're called to this lifestyle. So let me, let me ask you, at home, husbands and wives, parents and kids, how humble are you? Are you striving to get whatever it is you want, even if it's at the expense of others? Or are you, like Christ, looking for ways to lay down your life in service and in care? Are you not thinking about yourself, like thinking less of yourself, like, or, or, excuse me, are you, are you thinking less of your interests and more of the interests and needs of others? When you do that, you're saying, I trust Jesus is going to care for my needs. And so what we see here is we see that the fear of the Lord, it's found in humility before God. The fear of the Lord is found in humility before men or before others. But I want to make one more connection this evening. And here's what it is. I believe that the easiest place to find humility should be the church. I think the easiest place to find humility is should be in the way we interact with each other. I mean, we live in the 21st century American culture, right? There are people that can are streaming this from their home right now. Maybe there's someone on the other side of the U.S. that we'll never see face-to-face, -face, right? But let me just speak to those specifically that are part of this church family. We, in our love for each other, in our commitment to one another, we should consistently be displaying one characteristic above all others, and that characteristic is humility. I know of churches that they're in constant turmoil and upheaval. Their leaders are always fighting. Those who aren't leaders are trying to become leaders. They're always jockeying. They're, they're, they're devouring each other. They're not doing a lick of good in the community. They're just fighting all the time because they're full of pride. I know of churches that are growing rather rapidly. And they're growing rather rapidly because, because of their pride. They're making a show that's all about ego and all about hype and all about, oftentimes, whoever the speaker is. But if you just look over the last 10 years, many of these churches that have done that, they've come to terrible and tragic ends. Church, we're not called to the hype. We're not called to the show. 
We're, we're not called to try to be the biggest and the best and, and have all the bells and whistles. Listen very carefully. We are called to humility together. Let me show you. Let me show you what this looks like. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, the apostle Peter, he is writing to elders and to a church as a whole. And I want to look, just beginning at the end of verse 5. We're going to back up and we're going to look at all of it in a second. But, but the end of verse 5, look at these words. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Sound familiar? God humbles the one who exalts themselves, and, and God exalts the one who humbles themselves. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And, and so because of this, Peter tells the church, he says, clothe yourself, all of you, in humility. Now, thank God that he doesn't say, clothe yourselves, all of you, in hot pink. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in a cardigan. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in a three-piece suit. Look, we, we don't have very many instructions about what attire is meant to look like in the church. Thank God, right? We're all dressed very differently here. That, that's fine. But you know what we all must wear? Humility. It's interesting, he says, clothe ourselves. This takes effort. You don't wake up and then just say, poof, and you're dressed for the day. You have to wake up, and you and I, all of us, the same way, we put one pant leg on and then another pant leg on. We put our arms through our shirts. Every one of us, we have to put effort into clothing ourselves, which means we have to put effort into clothing ourselves with humility. It takes effort for us to think about each other more than we think about ourselves. It takes effort to walk through these doors and say, how can I come here and give myself instead of how can I come here and be benefited? It, it takes effort. But this is, this is the default posture of you and I toward each other and you and you toward one another. Humility looking out for each other's needs, caring for each other. Well, let's back up to verse 1. Well, let's start with those who lead the church, the elders. I think that part of this passage teaches that the, the elders are to be humble in responsibility. We've already seen that it says all of us are to clothe ourselves, but let's look at the elders. Verse 1, it says, he says, So I exhort you, elders among, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's what he says. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight or authority. He says, look at this, not under compulsion, not because you have to, but willingly, because you're a willing servant, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not for what you can get out of it, but eagerly, eagerly serving. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, not leading with pride, but being examples 
to the flock. Examples in what? Clothing yourself in humility. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Leaders in the church, elders specifically, but, but anyone who leads in any capacity, look at what this is teaching. This is teaching you lead for the benefit of those you lead, not for the benefit of yourself. Elders are to be humble in their responsibility. Those who lead a church, if the church is to honor Christ, those who lead the church must prayerfully say what is best for the people in light of the revealed word of God, not as what is best for us. Now, what do we want to do? Elder, the elder is to be humble in responsibility. But what about the follower? Well, I'm going to call the follower the younger and we can think about the follower as younger in years or younger in maturity. But, but look at verse 5, the very beginning of verse 5. He says, likewise. He, he just spoke to the elders. He says, likewise, you who are younger, generally speaking, generally speaking that elders would be older, and so everyone would be younger. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Here's what we see. The younger are to be humble in obedience. Now, there, there's all sorts of words here that our culture pushes against. Be subject? You're telling me I have to follow someone? Yeah. In, in humility. But, but, but just think for a second here. Imagine a church where the elders are not leading based on their pride, but where they're leading with a vision of Christ and looking out for the flock, doing what is best for those they lead. And imagine that same church where those who follow the elders, they know they're cared for, and they know they're not being used, and so they can willingly follow. This is a church that Christ designs. This is a church that is built on humility. This is why I say the easiest place to find humility should be in the church. This is why church family, if you ever find it hard to follow the elders at Valley, you should be able to come and talk to us. You seem really prideful here. You seem like you've got an agenda. What's going on? We welcome those questions because we don't have anything to hide. But, but the flip side of this is, church family, you should trust your elders. Hopefully you see integrity and you see humility. You see a biblical vision of ministry so that you can follow your church where they're leading. You see, you see, everyone is to be clothed in humility. The elder is to be humble in responsibility. The younger is to be humble in obedience. And then back to verse 5, the last part, all are to be humble to each other. The end of verse 5, it says, All of you, with humility toward one another, for God, or excuse me, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the vision of a church. How are you contributing to the culture of valley? Are, are you acting with pride toward everyone around you? Do you know what's best 
Do you need to have it your way? Do you have the final say? Or are you looking out for the needs and the cares and concerns of those around? I just want to throw this out there. Church family, most of the people in this room, you, you are committed to Valley. I know most of you, right? If you are part of Valley, are you helping us build a culture of humility? You know, in the last few months, we've talked a lot about sexual abuse in other churches. We've talked about how some churches have covered up sexual abuse that, have happened, that has happened. You want to know why they did this? Because of pride. Because they want to look good instead of wanting to do good. This part of why September we're going to do three Sunday nights where we're going to gather together as a church, three Sunday nights starting the 18th, and we're going to talk about how we become a thriving valley. And we're going to talk about stuff like this. We're going to talk about how a church works in a way that is biblical, that is hopefully built on character. And, and it, it, we see humility through and through, leaders and the whole church all on the same page. All are to be humble to each other. A few, few more points. L- let's take our attention back to the Lord. If you look at verses 6 and 7, the next thing you see is that all are to be humble not just before each other, but before God. Verses 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Why, Why do we humble ourselves before God? We humble ourselves before God because of who He is, and who we are. You should be thinking, that, that sounds really familiar. How will we define the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is godly living bef- based on who God is and who we are before Him. Look at this. We humble ourselves before God because of who He is and who we are. So let's just remember, just, just briefly, who is God? According to this passage, who is God and who are we? Well, He is mighty, and we are lowly. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He's, He's the one with the mighty hand, and we are the one that are waiting for the proper time where he will exalt us. Listen, we don't exalt ourselves. Why? Because we can't. Because we're lowly. Because we're weak. Because we're vulnerable and dependent. But look at what this promises. That his mighty hand, in the proper time, he will raise you up. He is mighty and we are lowly. And secondly, he cares while we are anxious. He cares. Verse 7, it says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What anxieties are you carrying right now? What relational burdens overwhelm you? What financial mountain stands before you? What, what health scare are you wrestling with? 
What has you just anxious and overwhelmed with life? Such a simple passage. Casting all your anxieties upon him. Why? He cares for you. He cares for what you're dealing with. He cares for the burden that you carry. He cares for the fear that grips your heart. He cares for you in your anxious state. And so you can come before him. And how do you come before him? Here it is. You come before him humbly. You come before the Lord with a fear of the Lord. And in the fear of the Lord, you know where it's found? It's found in humility. And so let's go before the Lord right now. Would you just right now set down your notes, set down your phone, set down whatever distraction it is that, that you might have, and just, just right now, just take a brief moment and come before the Lord and, and remember that He cares for you. And so take this moment to humble yourself before Him. Take this moment to declare, say, God, I have been acting like I am the center of the universe. Take this moment and repent. Say, God, I, I, I'm remembering right now that you're the center, that you are the king. And then thank him that even though you're not the center, thank him that he cares for you. Father, we are reminded in this moment that you don't have to care for us at all. That you have no need that we can satisfy. That you are perfect in and of yourself. There's nothing we bring to you that you're, you're desperately looking for. God, you are mighty, you are majestic. You are transcendent. And we are lowly. And we are weak. And we are vulnerable. And we are anxious. And yet in this moment, we rejoice that you care for us. And so, Father, in this moment, we come before you not like the Pharisee who stands proud with arms lifted, bragging about how good we are. No, Lord, we come before you like the tax collector, recognizing we're not worthy to even lift up our eyes, beating upon our chest, simply asking for you to be merciful upon us. And God, we find in that moment that you pour out your mercy and your grace and your love. Father, I pray that you would remind us anew of how good and gracious you are. Father, I pray that you would allow your love that you've already lavished upon us, you would allow it to be poured into our hearts again, reminding us of the simple truth that you care for us. And Father, I pray we would see that care so clearly in what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus. 
Do you care for us so much that Jesus died to pay the price for our sins and that he was resurrected to give us life? And so now because of Christ, we come to you humbly casting our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.